Let's open our Bibles together to Romans chapter 6. We're going to read a portion from this chapter and then we will turn to Galatians 2 for our text. In Romans 6, the Apostle Paul teaches more at length and in more detail what he teaches in Galatians 2 as well, as we will see in the sermon. Romans 6, let's read the first 11 verses. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we turn to Galatians 2, which we have been studying together in our adult Bible study. And in fact, just studied this passage that we consider tonight recently. Let's begin reading there at verse 15 to get a little bit of the context. Galatians 2, verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. And now this is our text. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain.
At this time of the year, we commemorate the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through that, our Lord Jesus has fully accomplished salvation for all of God's elect people throughout all the world and throughout all ages of history. Salvation is accomplished through the death and resurrection of Christ. Now, throughout this present age, as each one of those elect people comes into the world, is born into this world, Jesus Christ applies that salvation that he accomplished to them. Because they come into this world lost. The elect come into this world just like everybody else, as totally depraved, lost sinners. So Christ, having accomplished salvation on the cross and through his resurrection, now applies it to those elect people for whom he died so that they receive the blessings of salvation and they experience it already now in our lives. He applies to us, for example, the blessings of regeneration, justification, and sanctification. He also applies to us the means by which God gives us those blessings. So, for example, he sends to us the means of grace, the preaching of the gospel. And through the preaching of the gospel, he applies to us the blessing of calling. He calls us through the gospel. He calls us to Christ, to come to Christ, to believe in Christ. And through that calling, he works in the hearts of all God's children so that they believe in Christ. They come to Christ. And it's by means of that faith in Christ that they experience justification. God gives the blessings and God gives the means of experiencing those blessings. The Apostle Paul speaks of the blessing of justification in our context, verse 16, where he points out that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. That blessing of justification is given to us, applied to us, not by us doing the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ and by faith alone. But now the apostle encounters an objection that if you say that people are justified by faith in Christ without the works of the law, then people will just decide to go on sinning. People might think that they can just sin. In fact, they might try to sin more and more in the thought that grace will abound if they cause their sins to abound. We read of that in Romans 6, verse 1. We also read of that here in verse 17. If while we seek to be justified by Christ, we are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? Does Christ encourage us to sin? Does Christ cause us to sin? God forbid, the apostle says. God forbid. The fact that we are justified freely and graciously by faith alone does not cause the Christian to say, well then, I can sin all that I want and as much as I want because I'm justified 
without the works of the law. Rather, if you are truly justified by faith in Christ, then it will cause you to desire and to long from the depths of your heart to live unto God. That's what the apostle says in verse 19. He says, through the law, I am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Having heard at this time of year again that Jesus died and rose again for our salvation, I call out to you to make the confession of the Apostle Paul in our text, to make it personally. Each of us who are believers can and may and ought to make the same confession of verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We'll take as our theme, crucified with Christ, I live. Notice, first of all, I am crucified with him. Secondly, I am alive in him. And thirdly, what it means that I live by faith in him. In the first place, every believer in Jesus Christ, like the Apostle Paul in our text, can and may confess boldly, I am crucified with Christ. Another way of translating the text is to put it in the past tense. I was crucified with Christ. And let's start with that. I was crucified with Christ. That's the Apostle's confession. Now, what does he mean by that? Surely and obviously, he does not mean to say that he was literally and physically crucified with Christ some time ago. For the Apostle Paul, it was not that long ago. For us, it has been now almost 2,000 years ago. But that's not what he means. He doesn't mean to say that, like the two malefactors on the right and on the left, that he too was nailed to a cross, that he too had nails pounded through his hands and feet to the wooden beams. That was true of the malefactors. According to Christian tradition, that also happened to some of the apostles. They were crucified, some of them. Other Christians have been crucified, physically crucified. But that's not what the apostle means when he says, I was crucified with Christ. After all, as we saw on Friday, those two malefactors, they were both physically crucified with Christ. They had nails pounded through their hands and feet too. But only one of those malefactors could make the confession of the apostle in the text. Only one of them could actually say, I have been crucified with Christ. The other one could not say that, and he was not crucified with Christ in the sense of our text. Nor does the apostle mean by this confession to say that somehow he was subjected to the same sufferings of the cross of Christ, as we saw on Good Friday. Crucifixion was a manifestation of the curse. Jesus was cursed on that cross, but the apostle doesn't mean to say that he was also cursed. 
if that was his confession, to say, I have been cursed with Christ. I suffered the same curse that Christ suffered. That would not make any sense whatsoever. Why then did Christ come into the world? Why did Christ suffer on the cross for you? Why did he bear the curse of your sins if you also suffered that curse? It's obvious the apostle does not mean to say, and we do not mean to say, that we suffered the same wrath and indignation of God against our sins that Christ suffered on the cross. And yet, the apostle says, I was crucified with Christ. What does he mean? When the apostle says those words, and when you say those words for yourself personally, what we are saying is this. I was attached and connected and bound to Christ in the eyes of God when he died on the cross. I was given to Christ so that I belonged to Christ because I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before the world was even created, God chose me and gave me to Christ. And I was attached to Christ. I belonged to Christ. Christ is my head, and I am a member of his body. And in the eyes of God, Christ represented me. Christ was my head at the cross. Christ was not alone at the cross. Christ was with all of his people, and that includes me. That's the confession. I was there at that cross. I was hanging on that cross when he hung on the cross. But whereas he suffered, I did not. Whereas he was nailed, I was not. Whereas he was cursed, I was not. That's what he means to say, I was crucified with Christ. In other words, everything that Christ suffered on that cross, he suffered it for me. He suffered it as my representative, as my head, and for my benefit. I was crucified with Christ. And because I was crucified with him on that cross, all of the benefits of the cross flow to me. I'm justified in Christ. I'm not justified by keeping the works of the law. I'm justified in Christ. I'm redeemed from the curse of the law, and I'm righteous before God because I was with Christ on the cross in God's eyes. Another way to say the very same thing is what the Apostle says at the end of the text, that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. That's what it means. He was crucified for me. I was crucified with him. And therefore, all of the blessings of his cross flow freely to me. That's what I confess as a Christian. That's what I believe. But there's more than that. When the apostle says, I was crucified with Christ, he also means to say that when I was engrafted into Christ spiritually, at that moment of my union with Christ, that moment of my regeneration, At that very moment in my experience as a human being, the first moment when I became a Christian, at that moment, my old man of sin was crucified with Christ. That's what he means. 
That's what we read in Romans, isn't it? Romans chapter 6. He said that very thing in verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. We are to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And as we said, Romans 6 is explaining Galatians 2 more fully. In Romans 6, he tells us what he means. I am crucified with Christ. What do you mean? He means this. My old man was crucified with Christ. At the moment that I was engrafted into him, or as he puts it, baptized into him. And he doesn't mean by that simply the water baptism, but the spirit baptism. The work of the spirit baptizing me into Christ. The work of the spirit uniting me to Christ. At that moment, before that moment, I was only a dead sinner. But at that moment, when I was engrafted into Christ, my old man of sin was crucified with him. Our old man is crucified with him, he writes in Romans 6, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. That's one of the tremendous benefits of the cross. Not only that I'm justified with Christ, but that I'm sanctified with Christ. Sanctified. My sins are forgiven, and I'm righteous before God, but that's not all that God does. He also sanctifies my life. He changes my life. He transforms my life. And the negative part of that is, my old man is crucified. My old man died with Christ at the moment I was engrafted into him. It's as if at that moment when I was united to Christ, the nails of the cross were pounded through that old man. He was killed. He was mortified. And now he's dead. Now that doesn't mean that I don't sin at all anymore. I do still sin. I do still have that old man of sin. But that old man of sin no longer reigns over me. That, no longer, that old man of sin no longer has dominion over me. I am no longer a slave to sin. That's what the apostles emphasizing. He that is dead is freed from sin. That henceforth we should not serve sin. That's what it means. I am crucified with Christ. Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How can that be possible? No, I'm crucified with Christ. That's not possible. My old man is dead, that I should no longer be a slave of sin. What a glorious benefit of the cross of Christ. By nature, you and I confess, I'm inclined to serving idols. In my old man of sin, my inclination is to create idols in my life. Maybe it's the idol of money. Maybe it's the idol of power and control. Maybe it's the idol of fame and recognition. Maybe it's the idol of pleasure, sexual pleasure. 
pleasures of eating, the pleasures of drinking, the pleasures of drugs, other earthly pleasures, some of which may be legitimate, some of which may not be legitimate. But I'm inclined to make an idol of that, to serve it, to live in the service to that idol, so that all I think about is that idol. I'm obsessed with that idol. I love that idol as if it's my God. I trust in it. I find my joy in it. It's my greatest pleasure and treasure, whatever that is. And that leads to addiction. That leads to habitual sins and patterns. That leads to pride, because the greatest idol that we are inclined to make is the idol of ourselves. Pride. So that we're inclined by nature to walk around boasting and strutting and bragging about ourselves and all the things we've done and how great and how wonderful we are. We're prone by nature to seek glory and praise for ourselves, to gratify ourselves, to satisfy our base lusts and desires. That's our inclination. But I am crucified with Christ, now we say. And when we say that, we're saying, that old inclination, which is still in me, still lurking in me, it's dead. It's crucified. It's nailed to the cross. It doesn't define me anymore. It's not who I am anymore. It doesn't rule over me anymore. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it gets the upper hand. But in principle... This is your confession. I have been crucified with Christ. That old sinful inclination, that ego, that boasting, that pride, that anger, that lust, that addiction to that drug or that drink or that pornography, that doesn't rule over me. It's not who I am. By nature, I'm inclined to all kinds of sinful habits towards my neighbor. I'm supposed to love him as I love myself, but I'm inclined to hate him. I'm inclined to be angry with him, bitter with him, frustrated with him. In our marriages, we're inclined to that. In our relationships at work, in our families, in the church, we're inclined to treat people very badly. That's all our inclination. That causes us to be inclined to get into fights, to cursing, to swearing, to desiring revenge. But when we say, I am crucified with Christ, we're saying, but that old inclination, which is still there, it's dead. It's nailed to the cross. It doesn't identify me anymore. It doesn't define me. I'm not controlled by it. Christ has set me free from that slavery to those old carnal desires and dreams and fantasies and lusts and pride. I'm free. That's what we're saying. I'm free. I'm free to overcome sin in my life. I'm able to win the battle against sin more and more. That's what Christ has given me. Do you say that about yourself? If you seek to be justified by your own works, then you cannot say these words. 
then you cannot say, I am crucified with Christ. Then you must say, I'm going to be crucified in hell forever without Christ. If you're trying to be justified by your own works. But maybe you claim to be justified by faith in Christ, but you also claim that you still have no ability whatsoever to overcome sin. You're still a slave to sin, only a slave to sin, and nothing but a slave to sin. Well, then you can't say these words either. Then you can't say, I am crucified with Christ. My old man is crucified with Christ. My old man doesn't rule over me anymore. You can't say that if you don't think you have the ability to overcome sin. And if you don't think you have the ability to overcome sin, then you will also think, I might as well just keep sinning because that's who I am and that's all I can do. The apostle says, no. We're justified by faith without the works of the law, but that does not cause Christ to be the minister of sin. I'm crucified with Christ. My old sinful inclinations, they're still there, but they're dead. They don't control me. Sometimes they do control us. But then through the preaching of God's word, God sets us free again. And throughout our lives, as we battle against those inclinations, we must battle from the mindset of knowing I'm not a slave to that sin. That sin is not my Lord. That gives us great comfort and hope, doesn't it? It gives us hope that we can be set free from the snares and the traps of sin and Satan. We can. Christ died on the cross so that we would be able to Do you say that about yourself? This is a personal confession. I, I don't think of the person sitting next to you. Don't think of the minister. Don't think of Paul. Don't think of somebody outside of the church. Don't think of anybody else. Just yourself. Just you. Do you make that confession? I am crucified with Christ, justified in him fully and freely, and set free by him so that I might no longer serve sin. But the apostle has more to say. He goes on to say, Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. What we have to see here is that there is an implication that the Apostle does not mention in our text, but that he mentions in Romans 6 very clearly. The implication is when he says, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The implication is, I have been raised up with Christ, crucified with Christ, and raised up with Christ. That's also the application of the gospel to us in our lives. In Romans 6, verses 4 and 5, he writes, Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You expect him to say, even so we also 
have been raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. But he doesn't say that. It's implied. Even as Christ was raised up from the dead, we should walk in newness of life. Four. Romans 6, verse 5. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Or Ephesians 2, verses 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in sins, God hath quickened us together with Christ. God hath made us alive with Christ and hath raised us up together with Christ. Raised up with Christ. Is that your confession? Now again, what does that mean? The apostle is not saying that he was physically raised up with Christ, just as he was not physically crucified to a cross next to Christ or around Christ. So also he was not in the tomb with Christ, and he wasn't raised up physically with Christ. He wasn't wrapped in linen cloths next to Christ. He didn't pass through the walls of the sepulcher with Christ that day, that Easter Sunday morning so long ago. That's not what he means. But he means to say that just as when Jesus died on the cross, I was attached to him, connected to him, bound to him, given to him. I was there with him. He represented me. He was my head, and I was a member of his body, so also with his resurrection. When Jesus arose from the dead, I was with him. I belonged to him then. When he walked out of that grave, I and all God's children walked out of that grave with him. In the eyes of God, it was finished, fully raised to eternal life. As our representative head, we we arose from the dead with Christ. That's the teaching, for example, when Paul writes elsewhere that in Adam we all died, but in Christ we are all made alive. And now, whereas in Adam, he was the head of all human beings. When Adam fell into sin and died, all human beings died. But when Christ arose from the dead, not all human beings, but all those whom God gave to Christ, arose from the dead with him. I was raised up with Christ, and that's why the apostle is able to say in our text, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He means to say there again, that at that moment of my experience as a human being, when I was engrafted into Christ, Not only at that moment was my old man crucified with Christ, but at that very same moment when I was regenerated, I was given a new man. I became a new creature. Something new. I'm something new. I'm alive in Christ. But what he says, he says in a very peculiar manner, doesn't he? I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I live, yet not I. Christ liveth in me. What does he mean? 
When the Apostle says, I live, yet not I, he doesn't mean that he as a person no longer exists. That he as a person has somehow been absorbed into Christ. That's mysticism. There is a branch of Christian thinking called mysticism. That branch of thinking has it that Christians are somehow absorbed into God and into Christ, into God through Christ, so that we lose our personal identity. We're no longer a person. We don't exist as a distinct individual anymore. We're just absorbed into Christ. That's like the Buddhist doctrine of nirvana which has it that when someone dies, he is just absorbed into the universe and becomes one with it. Sort of like a drop of rain that falls into the ocean, and as it splashes into the ocean, it disappears, becomes one with the ocean, and is no longer an individual drop of rain anymore. Is that what the apostle means when he says, Not I, not I, but Christ liveth in me, that I don't exist anymore, that I'm not a person, that I'm not a rational, moral creature anymore, separate and distinct from Christ, but I am the same as Christ, and Christ is the same as me, so that I might as well say, I am Christ, and Christ is me. That's not what he means. We don't disappear mystically into Christ like the drop of rain into the ocean. He's emphasizing, I live. I, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Nor does the apostle mean by this that Christ himself has come down from his throne in heaven and taken up his residence inside the apostle Paul's body. We don't agree with the Lutheran doctrine that when Christ ascended up into heaven, his body and human nature became everywhere present so that Christ is everywhere. No, we believe that Christ is a human being. He ascended up into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God, and that's where he is. And yet, the apostle says, Christ liveth in me. Somehow, Christ lives in me. And of course, he means to say, as the Reformed emphasize in our creeds, Christ lives in me by his Spirit. Christ has poured out his Spirit into me. And the Spirit is everywhere present. The Spirit is able to be inside the heart and soul and mind and body of every single Christian throughout the face of the earth at one time. Christ lives in me and in you and in every Christian by his Spirit. But when the Apostle says that now, he doesn't mean to say that the Spirit of Christ has replaced my person. I'm emphasizing that because some are saying that sort of thing today. Some are saying that I don't live I don't believe, I don't repent, I don't live unto God, Christ does. 
And this text has been used to teach that as well. I don't, you see. You see, the text says that. The apostle says that. Very clear. Yet not I. Christ lives in me. I don't believe. Christ believes. Christ repents. Christ obeys. Christ lives unto God. No, he doesn't. I live, the apostle says. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me by his spirit. The spirit of Christ doesn't replace my person. I'm still a person. And I still have a body. I still have a heart, a soul, and a mind. I'm an individual distinct from Christ and distinct from the spirit of Christ. Christ is in me through his spirit living. What does that mean? It means that Christ through his spirit makes me alive, keeps me alive, and works in me so that I live unto God. But I never become the Spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of Christ doesn't become me. When the Apostle says, yet not I, he's not denying his personality. He's denying himself any credit. That's what he's denying as was brought out, all of these things wonderfully in our Bible study a little over a week ago. He's denying that he gets the credit. Not I. Because as soon as you say, I live, then immediately the Christian thinks to himself, wait a minute though, I don't live of myself. I don't have this life of myself. I didn't make myself alive. I don't keep myself alive. Christ does that. Not I. I live. I do. Yet, I don't get the credit for that. Christ lives in me through his spirit. Christ made me alive. He keeps me alive. He works in me so that I live. Isn't that what he means? And moreover, when he says, yet not I, he also means, surely, not I and myself. I and myself am dead. I'm dead. In my old man. But now I, the same I, am alive in Christ. What a benefit of the resurrection of Christ, that is. From moment to moment to moment, Christ lives in me through his spirit. He keeps me alive. That's even true of us physically. God keeps us alive. We would do well to think about that more often, too. In the morning, when we get up and we take a good deep breath and we eat our breakfast and so on, we ought to remember that God gives me that life and breath. I don't have that of myself. And how much more than in the spiritual life? Not I. Christ gives me that life. And he sustains it and nourishes it by his word and spirit. And the result of that work of Christ in me is that I bring forth much fruit. Much fruit. Good works. What a benefit that is. Christ lives in me so that 
whereas by nature I'm inclined to serve the idols of money, 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 and power and fame and recognition, and we become obsessed with those things, and drugs and food and drinking excessively and partying and enjoying this life. With Christ in me, I'm not only those inclinations are crucified so that I'm able to overcome them, but he lives in me so that I'm able now to live unto God. That's my God. That's the one I love. That's the one I serve. That's the one I trust. So that I stop boasting. I stop bragging. I stop acting as if I am someone special in myself. I crucify that pride, but I also am able to walk now in humility and meekness and gentleness, kindness. All the fruits of the Spirit are the result of Christ living in me. I'm able to find contentment. I'm able to be generous toward others, to show hospitality to strangers, to be patient with those make my life difficult, and to use the good gifts of my Father's world, not in excess, but in moderation. I'm able to be temperate, moderate, content, and to let my light shine. I'm able to do that because of Christ in me. You make that confession? I am crucified with Christ. I am raised with Christ. I am alive in Christ. Christ is in me. If you say, I live, I live, not Christ, I live in myself and of myself and through myself, then you're a Pelagian. Then you do not understand the truth of the gospel at all. Then you think you have it all in yourself. You have all the strength, all the power. You can live the godly life of your own power and strength. And by living that life, you can earn and merit your way up into heaven. That's Pelagian. That's a heresy. But if you say, I live, yet not I, I don't live. I don't exist anymore. I don't believe. I don't repent. I don't obey. Christ does all of that then you're probably an antinomian. And you also do not understand the truth of the gospel. An antinomian who says, I don't have to keep the law. You can't tell me that I have to keep the law. And I can't keep the law. I can't love God. I can't serve God. If you say that, then I ask you, Doesn't Christ live in you? If Christ doesn't live in you, you're not saved. The Christian doesn't say that. The Christian says, in myself, of myself, by myself, I can't. But in Christ, I can do all things. I can live a life of thankfulness to God. And that's how the Apostle concludes. In my judgment, he shows us that this is all a life of thankfulness. He concludes this beautiful personal confession by saying, 
The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that I now live, he means the life that I'm currently living. From that moment I was engrafted into Christ until the time that I die. In that in-between time, when I'm still in the flesh, when I'm not dead yet. I'm still in the body, I haven't gone to heaven yet. Still in this world. That's us right now. Not Paul anymore. He's in heaven now. But that's us right now. The life that I now live in the flesh. He says, I live that life by the faith of the Son of God. That is, by faith in the Son of God. I don't live this life by faith in myself. Our culture says to us, Just believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Don't believe in yourself. Believe in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Paul doesn't say, I believe in myself, but I believe in the Son of God. I look to the Son of God. That faith means I embrace him. I trust in him and rest in him and him alone. To give me everlasting life. I live this life by faith in the Son of God who loved me. I live by faith in Him who loved me. He loved me with an unconditional love, with an unchangeable love, with an unshakable, everlasting love. He loved me so much that I can't comprehend the height of it, the depth of it, the width and the breadth of it. It's so great. It's so large. It fills the whole universe, the love that he had toward me. And how do I know that that love is so, so great? Because he gave himself for me. He loved me and he gave himself for me. He gave himself, his life, his body, soul to the death of the cross. His blessed body broken, his precious blood shed for me, the Son of God. And if the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, the Son of God did that. Then I know it's an unshakable love, and I know that nothing can separate me from that love. The love of Christ cannot fail. He loved me, He gave Himself for me. And His goal in loving me and giving Himself for me on the cross was that He wanted to take me out of the destruction of the pit of hell that I deserve for my sins and lead me into the sweet, everlasting communion of heaven with God. That's what he did for me. And if he did that for me, the apostle is saying, remember the apostle who persecuted the church, who threw Christians into prison, he's so overwhelmed with gratitude for what Christ did for him. That he says, the life that I now live, the rest of my life, I live it by faith in the Son of God. I keep my eyes on him. Keep my eyes fastened on him who loved me. And I repeat that to myself day by day. He loved me. 
and he gave himself for me. And when I keep that in front of my mind, I can never think, and I will never think, well, then let's sin that grace may abound. Let's go and sin as much as we want, because it's grace, you know. And in fact, and that's where antinomianism, that's the fullest form of antinomianism, Romans 6, verse 1. You know, if we keep on sinning, this is what the devil says, if you keep on sinning, guess what? More and more grace will flow to you. So go and sin. Sin a lot. Sin greatly. And you will glorify God greatly because his grace will flow out more and more to you. What a wretched doctrine. Is that where faith leads? If I believe that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me and justified me freely without my works, is that where that leads? No. Where does that perverse thinking come from? It comes from Satan. That comes from my old flesh trying to regain control. You're saved by grace. You don't have to do anything. Nothing. You don't have to do anything. Just live how you please. That's perverse thinking that comes from my flesh and from Satan. Because Satan knows. We're vulnerable to that. We're vulnerable to thinking like that. And that kind of thinking, that's not by faith in the Son of God, thinking of his love for me. Because if you think about how much he loves you and what he did for you, you'll never think like that. That leads to a spiritual sluggardly life and a person who doesn't want to hear admonitions from the pulpit. Don't tell me what I have to do. I don't want to hear that. Selfish, careless, profane behavior is not due to the gospel of justification by faith alone. It doesn't come from that doctrine, as we'll see in the next Lord's Day in the Catechism. It doesn't come from that. It comes from the devil. It comes from our flesh. We have to be aware of that. No, when we hear how much Jesus loved me and what he did for me, our hearts soar with gratitude, with joy, with love for the one who loved us, for his unspeakable gift. And our hearts are resolved not to continue in sin, not to allow spiritual sloth to continue in my life, but to love him who first loved me. Our hearts long to hear those admonitions. Our hearts say, Tell me the gospel, and then tell me what I have to do. Because I want to do it. Tell me what he did for me, and tell me how I can serve him. Tell, tell me of his love, and tell me how to live unto God. Tell me those good commandments. Tell me how to walk in the Christian life. That's the Christian's response. That's the response of faith.
Because we don't want to walk in evil works anymore, do we? We don't think that we've reached the pinnacle of sanctification already, do we? Certainly not. The grateful heart of the child of God who knows the love of Christ longs to hear what he must do, not what he must do to be saved, but what he must do because he is saved. What he gets to do, what he has the privilege of doing, how he can serve his God and live unto his God. We delight to hear that, to be guided in the Christian life. Is that your confession? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, not I. Christ lives in me. And now, the life that I'm going to live tomorrow, Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, the rest of my life in the flesh, I'm going to live by the faith of the Son of God, resolved to keep my eyes on him, to remember this confession, to keep his good commandments in gratitude. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we give thee thanks for the wonders that thou hast worked for us in the love and gift of Christ. Grant, Father, that we might be kept from the perverse thinking that we can merit that salvation by our works and the perverse thinking that being saved, there's nothing that we have to do. But give us, Father, grace by faith to lay hold upon Jesus, to remember his love for us and delight then to live unto thee, to abound in good works of thankfulness. Give us to be thankful, to delight in knowing thee and knowing Christ, and to strive more and more to put off old sinful ways, not to be at ease in them, but to crucify our old flesh, to walk in newness of life. We thank thee for giving